I wonder, what is it that thrills you? What is it that amazes you? Sometimes, for me, it's something that happens on the basketball court. I, in fact, I have to tell you, last night I was laying in bed. Uh, I had the radio on, listening to the Oklahoma Thunder game against the Golden State Warrior game. And uh, it was close, and I'm... I'm uh, interested in how good a, a, a ball player uh, Stephon Curry is and what kind of a role he is in, uh, in shooting uh, so amazingly. And this fella, he, he broke the record, or actually tied the record last night in the NBA for the, the most threes in a, in a basketball game. He hit 12 of them, one of them at the end of regulation with .07 seconds left, and then he hit another one at the end of the overtime to win the game with .6 seconds left. And I, when he hit that, that last shot, I, I about came up out of the bed just amazed at this guy. What is it that amazes you? I was thinking of a baseball game last fall. It was the American League Divisional Series, the Houston Astros versus the Kansas City Royals. Many of you will remember that game. The Royals were down two games to one. The Astros were seemingly about to eliminate them from the series. It was the eighth inning. They were winning by four runs. And yet the Royals would not quit. One base hit after another. One run scored after another. The, the score became tied and then the Royals went ahead. I, I was outside working on my tractor listening to this game. And as that inning unfolded and the broadcasters were so vividly describing the events of that inning, I laid my tools down and I walked over towards the towards the radio, and I said, you've got to be kidding me. <laughs> I mean, they would not quit. And they eventually won the game, and they won the series. But, you know, what is it that inspires you? What is it that amazes you? Certainly, there are things far greater than sporting events that inspire us or that are awesome to us. I, I was thinking, like the time I witnessed the birth of my child. <laughs> the first two came through adoption and they were given to us, wrapped up in a blanket, clean. And that it was really nice. It was a wonderful gift from God. That was awesome. We received Jonathan when he was three days old, wrapped in a blanket. We received Abby when she was less than 24 hours old, wrapped in a blanket. Rebecca came, though, in the usual, the normal way of being coming to a mom and dad. <clears throat> I remember being in that delivery room. I remember watching and seeing the crown of her head actually coming through the birth canal. And I came up out of my chair and I said, Oh my goodness! <laughs> I, I think the doctor, she didn't know quite what to do with me. 
And, and she was absolutely beautiful as she was born. I remember that awe-inspiring moment. I remember a few years ago we were on vacation as a family in Colorado and, and we were three quarters of the way up the Independence Pass and we stopped at a pullover area there on the road to take some pictures and I will never forget this scene. It was a full rainbow below us. It was absolutely incredible. And it was an awe-inspiring moment. Just two weeks ago, I had an awe-inspiring moment. I was sitting and talking with a fella who told me of his upbringing, how he was abused and mistreated by his father, really hurt by him, and how as he had grown and had become a Christian, he had gone back to his dad and he offered forgiveness to him. And he was now taking care of his dad in his old age. As this fella told me that story, I felt a sense of awe. It was God's grace being lived out in this man's life. What is it that inspires you? What is it that brings to you a sense of awe? I'm sure if we had time this morning, many of you could get in on the storytelling of those times in your life when you felt a sense of awe. In Acts 2.43 it says, Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And then chapter 3. The scripture that Joyce has just read to us, one of those accounts of the wonders and awes, uh, signs of the apostles is described to us, and every person in that temple area felt a sense of awe. There was a man who was crippled from birth. Chapter 4, verse 22 says that he was more than 40 years old. Old. So for a very long time, this man has been totally dependent upon others. One of the commentaries that I read said that there was not one day in his entire life that he had not been dependent upon someone. And needless to say, it was a very difficult life that he was living. He had never walked. He had never run he had never jumped and and as he was a young child he had to lay there and watch the other children play and then as he grew older he was not able to work so, someone every day had to pick him up and carry him to the temple area and there they would leave him for the entire day and he would beg for money that he might have something upon which he could survive I don't know who his main caregiver was at this point. The scripture doesn't indicate that. But one thing we know for sure, his life was very, very difficult. But his life was about to change. 
It was the ninth hour, about three o'clock in the afternoon, the text says. It was the hour of prayer. You know, when God's people pray, there are some pretty incredible things that happen. Have you ever thought about that? Chapter 12 of Acts, the church had gathered for prayer and the prison doors were opened wide and the chains that, that held bondage Peter in that prison cell, those chains fell off of his hands and his feet and an angel led him out of the prison to his freedom. When God's people pray, pretty incredible things begin to happen. Chapter 10 of Acts, Cornelius was praying and he saw a vision with an angel in it. And the angel had a message for him to send for Peter who was in Joppa for Peter to come to him and send and to give to him a message. Not too long after that, Cornelius and his entire household were giving their lives to Jesus and being baptized into him. When God's people pray, incredible things begin to happen. In Acts chapter 9, Peter knelt down and prayed, and soon thereafter, Dorcas, who had been dead, was living again. I'll I, I say it again. When God's people begin to pray, incredible things begin to happen. Acts chapter 16, Lydia and several women had gone to the riverside for a prayer meeting. A preacher named Paul shows up. And before long, Lydia and her entire family are being baptized into Jesus. When God's people pray, incredible things begin to happen. Later in chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they've been thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. It says in verse 25 that they were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And suddenly there was a great earthquake that shook the place. The foundations of the prison were shaken and the doors were opened and the, and the, and the chains fell off of their hands and their feet. And, and mark it down, brethren, when God's people are praying, then incredible things begin to happen. But it's not just here in the book of Acts that we say that to be true. I, it was two weeks ago, I sat around the table with four other couples, and every couple around that table had a story about how God had answered prayer in their life. When God's people pray, incredible things happen. Would you say that with me, please? When God's people pray, incredible things happen. That's a theme that runs through the whole book of Acts. In this instance, chapter 3, Peter and John went to the temple to pray. It was the hour of prayer. And as they were getting ready to enter through the eastern gate, which is called beautiful, their attention was drawn to a man who was crying out to them. It was this lame beggar who was asking for alms. In other words, he's begging for money. I did some reading on this gate called 
beautiful. Believe me, it wasn't called this for no reason. It must have been something to behold. According to sources that I looked at, the gate was 75 feet high and 60 feet wide. It was made of Corinthian brass and overlaid with ornate gold. It was the eastern gate of the temple. So when the sun shone as in the early morning hours upon this gate, it must have been truly beautiful. Therefore, it was called by that name. But isn't it interesting that here at the foot of this beautiful gate into the temple was a man whose condition was not so beautiful. He had never walked in his life. He had to be carried every day by his friends so that he could beg for people to be giving him his sustenance. This had been going on for years and for years. He was a very familiar face there at this gate. And you know that his self-esteem was bankrupt. Verse 4, Peter said, had to say to him, look at us. I'm assuming that this man was not making eye contact with Peter and John. He's got his head down. He's beaten down by the circumstances of his life that he cannot do anything about. He is without hope. And probably so many people were used to seeing this fellow there every day that they really didn't see him. If you know what I mean. He was a fixture by the gate beautiful. And I'm wondering, are there people around us every day who are just like this man? People who are broken down. People who are beaten down by their circumstances. I'm sure there are those people around us. I'm wondering, are we seeing them? Do we have our eyes open to these kinds of people? Shane Wood last week challenged us to have our eyes open, to have our hearts open to those people around us who are in need. We need to reach out to them. We need to show love to them. They may be people that we work with. They may be people that we go to school with. They may be people right here in our own church fellowship. They may be people that we walk past every day. They are broken people, hurting people. And we need to have a healing touch of love towards them. Peter said to this man, look at us. I'm sure the man thought they were going to give him a gift of money. But Peter said to him, I don't have any money, but what I have give I thee. You remember that song from years ago, if you've grown up in the church? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give to thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You ever thought about what happens in the name of Jesus? Uh, lame men walk in the name of Jesus. 
Lost people are saved in the name of Jesus. Demons are cast out in the name of Jesus. Matthew 12, 21 says, And in His name the Gentiles will hope. That's you and me. It's in His name that, that we have hope. We have eternal life in His name. We have forgiveness of sin offered to us in His name. We are baptized into His name. We call upon His name. We proclaim His name. We pray in His name. We wear His name. We praise His name. We give thanks to God through His name. We magnify His name. We give a cup of cold water to the one who is thirsty in His name. We suffer for His name's sake, the Scripture says. Philippians 2, 10 and 11 says, At the name of Jesus... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's no wonder that His name is the name above every other name. Amen? Will you surrender to His name? I mean, that's a question that we are asking you all through this year. Will you be committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Will you surrender to His name? There is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. When Peter commanded this man to rise up and walk, it says that he seized his right hand and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened and he went walking and leaping and praising God. Think about that. Can you envision it as it, as it played out there in the temple? Uh, this man was not like a ballerina who is gracefully and quietly moving across the stage. No, I I'm seeing him as one who is jumping and running and leaping. And he's not being quiet about it. He is shouting. He's laughing. He's ecstatic. He's talking to people. He's saying, hey, hey, look at me. Look what I can do. I mean, this guy was so full of excitement. Can you see him? Can you, can you envision it in your mind? He's more than 40 years old, and he is walking and leaping and running for the very first time in his life. And he's giving God the glory. He knows where this is coming from. It's not happened by coincidence. It's not luck. It's because God, through the name of Jesus, through His servants, Peter and John, has granted Him mercy and grace.
And he is not about to keep it quiet. Verses 9 and 10 says, And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Our God is an amazing God, isn't He? I can only imagine what this moment must have been like for the fellow who was healed and for those who were witnesses. Every day they had seen this guy laying at the gate beautiful in a despairing condition. And now he's bouncing off of the walls and he's full of joy and he's praising God and he's got a story to tell. Do you have a story to tell? Do you have a story to tell of what God has done for you? Do do you have a testimony of what He has done for you? What burden He has lifted from you? What, What is it that He has set you free from? What miracle has He done for you? And don't you dare sit there and say, I, I don't know what He's done for me. He, he hasn't done that much for me. Oh yes, He has. If you'll just stop and think. and, and he's, done, he's done for you just like He's done for me. How many of us here could say, He has saved me. He has, some of you could say, He has restored my marriage. Some of you could say with the lame man, He has, He has, He has healed me. Some of you could say, He has given me a purpose. Some of you can say, He has given me peace. He has given to me victory over alcohol. He has helped me to stop smoking. He has loved me unconditionally. He has... What? What has He done for you? In your bulletin, there's a yellow paper. I'd like for you to pull that yellow paper out. And it has on it my testimony. It says, to God be the glory, this is what He has done for me. I'd like for for us to take just a few minutes here in the service, and I'd like for you to answer that question. I'd like for you to say, what is it that God has done for me? Now, if you don't have a bulletin, and you need one of these, I want you to raise your hand. Tim's got some here in the back. I want you to fill this out, please. I want you to take some time. Who needs one of these? Raise your hand. Anyone? Here's one over here. Take some time. Grab a pen from the chair in front of you. Grab it out of your pocket, out of your purse. Write down what is it that God has done for you to His glory. It can be a sentence, it can be a paragraph. 
I want you to sign your name to this, okay? Because we've got a basket in the back. As you leave this morning, I'm going to ask you to drop your testimony into that basket. And over the next few weeks, we're going to post these on the walls around the church building as a testimony to Him, as a glory to His name. This is what He has done for us. Take a few more minutes. If you're finished, maybe just show it to the person next to you. Trade papers and show it to the person next to you. Give give a testimony to the person next to you of what God has done for you. I'm thinking about this guy in the temple. I mean, he is unashamed. He is not embarrassed. He's not holding anything back. God has just given him legs of which he can run and walk and jump. And he's shouting to the glory of God, this is what God has done for me. And when God shows His grace to us, when God showers us with His love and His grace, then we need to be willing to share that with our neighbor. 1 Peter 3.15 says, Be ready. Be ready to give a defense to others of what the Lord has done for you. And we need to be ready. We need to share this testimony with people. And you know what? Over the weeks to come, our upward basketball season is starting and there are going to be a lot of folks coming through our building some of which do not know Jesus Christ, and as they see your testimony on the walls of this church building, you know what they're going to do? They're going to stop, and they're going to read that testimony. And they're going to see what God has done in your life, and they're going to see what God has done in somebody else's life, and they're going to get the idea that our God is real. And that He is not dead. He is alive. He is active. He is gracious. He is merciful. Would you take a moment and pray and say, God, thank You for what You've done for me. I, I, I don't want to be ashamed at all in telling the world about You. And Lord, if others along these weeks to come, if others see my testimony, would You use it to Your glory and honor? Heavenly Father, we give this, this moment to You. We give this this testimony to You. We praise You. We do not believe that miracles are just for those in Bible times. 
we believe that there are miracles happening still today. There are miracles of healing. There are miracles of salvation. There are miracles of marriages being restored and prodigal children coming home. You, God, are the name above all names, and we praise you.